Good morning. Grace and peace to you, every one of us, uh, to you gathered this morning. I got a new chair. I hope it it swivels. You get a haircut on this thing, right? So, and it's it goes up really tall. That's why I got it. So, um, what a gift this service has been already, and I just pray that uh, you know, the Holy Spirit will continue to meet with us this morning. Uh, challenge us, encourage us in, in the way the Holy Spirit desires. Uh, today is the fifth Sunday of Epiphany. And um, the story that comes to us this day that we've heard already um, is, is the calling of Jesus' first disciples with a particular focus on Simon Peter. <clears throat> it makes sense that this is an Epiphany text because um, it reveals the gift of Jesus Christ as the embodiment of God's light, God's um, God's goodness and God's grace. Um, these are themes throughout the story. We have Simon responding to an invitation from Jesus to do some things. And in so doing, Simon experiences an epiphany of God as well. So as I reflected on uh, this, this passage over the week, um, it's just interesting to me how in the, in, the, in the mundane, the daily normal life that we have, that is our existence, um, it's in these moments, in the ordinary, that God often meets with us. The, the question is, do we notice? Do we notice it? If you've grown up in church, you're no doubt familiar with this story, right? Who's, who's really, really familiar with, with this calling of Simon Peter and the first disciples? Pretty familiar, right? And if this isn't your story, this isn't your experience, and, and you're here and maybe listening to this kind of uh, interaction for the first time, I think you might be ahead of the rest of us because with fresh eyes, with fresh, um, with a newness uh, to the story, uh, th there potentially is a deeper meaning. So all are welcome to the story, no matter long churchgoer or brand new. Uh, it's an invitation for us as well to imagine ourselves in the story as, as we go today. So a couple of things uh, to mention before we read the scripture again is that um, our story starts with a Greek word, uh, genomai. Genomai. It's a word relating to creation. A word meaning that something is coming into being. Literally translated, it happened. You can literally translate, it happened. Although our NIV says, you know, on one day as Jesus was, that's how it starts. But this Greek word, it happened. Okay? It serves, this word serves as a signal that something significant is about to take place, that this moment is a moment that something new is about to happen or come to be. A second thing before we read it a second time is this. Uh, we know that Jesus has been preaching the good news to the poor. We've had this interaction throughout Luke. Um, and we'll, we will read about the crowd pressing in on him to hear what is called the word of God or the logos of God in Greek. So, logos. Uh, we translate it, or it's translated as word. It's a simple word. It's a, it's a word that we translate word, <laughs> right? So, uh, in our scripture, but logos um, is a marriage. It's a marriage of thought, of power, and of action. It's the word of God. It's just more than just words spoken. It, there's, there's power. There's action behind it. So as we read this a second time, uh, an invitation for you to, to pay attention to what you pay attention to. What sticks out in the story? What grabs your attention? Which elements of the story do you love? 
And which elements of the story do you find challenging? So, as we read a second time, next slide, okay. One day, or it happened. See the urgent, like, it happened. Um, as Jesus was standing by the lake of, get, I, I can never say that word, Sea of Galilee, the people were crowded, uh, crowding around him and listened to the, to the word, the logos of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down. This is important. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees um, and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And, and, um, and so were James and, and John, the sons of Zebedee and, and Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Left everything and followed him. I was considering that we would just kind of open this space and, and talk about what, what grabs you, but I think uh, for time's sake, we will skip that. But um, now last week, if you recall, we ended, what was happening with Jesus when we ended last week uh, with the, the, the interaction of, of Jesus teaching at his home synagogue in Nazareth? Where did we leave him? Well, he was physically being pursued to be thrown off a cliff, right? And then we turn the page to chapter 5, and he is teaching by or and in the, the Sea of Galilee. And um, they're pressing in to hear the word of God. So from being hunted by the crowds to the crowds pressing in on him to listen to the logos of God, the word of God. Again, this is a drastic change from last week. What was happening between last week and this week, um, we skip in, in Luke 4. He was in Capernaum, rebuking evil spirits. He went to the home of Simon. He heals Simon's mother, uh, mother-in-law. He exercises, exercises some more demon, exorcises, not exercises. Like, that would be like a, you know, some sort of workout session. No, he wasn't doing that. He exorcises uh, some more demons. The crowds try to keep him from leaving at one point in Capernaum. And then he continues preaching in, in, in many uh, Judean uh, uh, synagogues as well. So Jesus has been established in his ministry for a while, okay, for a while. And the crowds get larger and larger, and thus the need for more helpers come, okay? And we'll see this a bit later in Luke when Jesus sends out the 72 to do ministry, Okay, I want to note something here that Luke's account, as compared to the other accounts um, of the same story, this happens after Jesus is already well known for his teaching and his healing. Okay, often it's held that you know the disciples, when Jesus calls them, they just started following a stranger whom they knew nothing about. That it was some just this huge leap of faith. But here we see that Simon has both knowledge and Simon has relationship 
with Jesus, and then he makes this life-altering decision to follow. There's relationship first. The other Gospels don't sort of paint the same picture. So so I just want to move through our text and have some observations this morning. Um, So as the story goes, um, there's there's many things to notice. When uh, When Jesus first sits down in the boat, so he sits down. He sits down to teach. Maybe because it's unstable. Anyone try to stand in a canoe or a boat, right? You're going to go over, right? So he sits down um, in a sitting position, and we learned that he did the same thing in a synagogue um, in his hometown of, of Nazareth. So I don't know, just a question. Is this text sort of reframing what a holy space looks like? What sacred space looks like? Um, and what a church of people can be? So when he sits down, he asks Simon to row, row him out a bit. And he does. But the story doesn't conclude with his teaching. In fact, we don't even know what he taught. There's no mention of what he taught. We can assume it's probably good news to the poor. Um, but it's just the story's just really getting started at that point. God is up to something more than Simon, and perhaps the others once thought. So Jesus asked him to, to go out a little further into the deep and to let down the nets for a catch. Um, these nets that they were previously just in the process of cleaning. And in verse 5, Simon responds with, Master, ain't going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll go out, but, you know, we've been fishing all night. How can this carpenter tell me, tell us, the fishermen, the professional fishermen, how can this carpenter tell us how to fish? It'd be like me telling Jay Gingrich to, hey, you know, in this pond we should use this bait instead of this one. I'm not a fisherman. I, have no, I can't step into that space, right? Um, Jay's the fisherman. I am not. And, they, and Peter, Simon, Peter is the fisherman, and Jesus is not. But Simon says, because you say so. Everybody repeat that. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. I think the important thing here is that Simon consents. Simon consents to what the Lord is inviting him to do. He consents. Jesus doesn't give the fishermen any sort of new tip. Hey, you know, we should do it this way or, you know, a new technique. Nothing was really different other than that Jesus spoke. The logos of God. And they do what he says. When God speaks and we respond with a yes, when God speaks and we respond with consent, a letting go of what we knew to be true previously and consenting to the Lord's invitation, this is where transformation is made possible. It is in consent that transformation is made possible. So Simon's consent uh, turns into a miraculous catch of fish, calling on his friends to help um, because the, the boat's going down. So just imagine their sense of wonder that day. Even like, you know, laughter at the crazy amount of fish that, are, that they're hauling in. Like, you know, do you, do you, do you see their faces? It's, it's, you know, as they struggle to haul in the catch, there's this delight, a sense of awe in this moment um, over this overflowing gift of this great number of fish. Uh, their eyes must, must have been huge, right? 
their eyes, wow, what, what is going on? Because in that moment, they're being swamped by God's abundance. They're just being overwhelmed by God's abundance. So in verse 8, when Simon, um, it, it says not just Simon, but it says Simon Peter in verse 8. It says Simon Peter fell at Jesus' feet, fell to his knees. For the first time in, in Luke's gospel, Simon is, Simon is identified as Peter. But yet he won't get his name officially until next chapter in, verse, in chapter 6, which is interesting. But I want to focus on that Peter saw Jesus. I just want to focus on that verb, saw. Jesus saw Jesus. Communicating that this is an important moment in the ongoing transformation uh, for Simon. So, as I mentioned before, Simon has already had a relationship with Jesus before this morning's story. Um, if someone were to ask Simon, and this happens later, they ask Peter later, right before the crucifixion, do you know him? They, if someone were to ask Simon, do you know him? He would respond, yes. Yes, I know him. He's been to my house. He healed my crazy mother-in-law. He knows him, Right? I've heard him teach as well. I know him. I know Jesus. But then after this catch of fish, he begins to realize he doesn't have it figured out who this Jesus is. Simon is only just beginning to realize who Jesus is. It's, it's an epiphany. So Simon, now Peter, begins to see with new eyes. Begins to see just who this Jesus is. And his, his true and his proper response is one of awe, it's of reverence, and a little bit of fear. He responds in some fear. Isn't it true that when we experience the divine presence, we have a sense of awe, Right? We have a sense of, of wonder and joy, while at the same time, if we admit it, maybe a little fear when we experience the divine and his work in our lives. When we, re when we realize that we are caught up in something that's much, much bigger than ourselves. So Peter's response, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Of note here that Simon addresses Jesus as master in verse 8. And he addresses him as Lord. Oh, in verse 5. And he addresses him as Lord in verse 8. Then Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is right after Peter's confession of sin. Now, this sin, I don't know if this is like of, of the moral kind of sin per se. But I think it's a sin of missing the mark on who Jesus is. That's, I think, the kind of sin that's in play. Sin as recognition of a distance from God. A recognition of the gap between one's false self and one's true self. And perhaps a gap between Simon and Peter. This is what Simon begins to see. Jesus saw Jesus. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say, Peter, you're forgiven. doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Peter, go and sin no more. Jesus has a different response for him. 
His response is of comfort and encouragement. He says, do not be afraid. You are safe with me. Do not be afraid. You are safe with me. This do not be afraid is repeated throughout the Gospel of Luke. And, and um, Jesus comes and invites us all, not just Simon, invites us all to do not be afraid. Jesus offers comfort, but then he offers even something more to Simon Peter, something new to orient his life around, something new to be about, something bigger and larger than anything that he would have imagined. And that thing is to become a fisher of people, of men and women, to invite others to also experience the life-changing grace and abundance of God. You know, the, the riches of the story continues, and, and as we see, Simon Peter drops everything, but also does James and John as well, giving up their professions, their family, their friends, life as they knew it, giving up everything to follow Jesus. So this story um, records an interaction between Jesus and Simon. But I don't think it's meant to just be an interaction between those two. I think this is an all, also an interaction between Jesus and me. Jesus and you. It's an interaction between Jesus and us. Simon doubts the possibility of the catch. Simon professes shortcomings. Simon experiences fear. Yet Jesus will do marvelous and miraculous things through him. We can doubt the possibilities. Can I get an amen? We profess our shortcomings. We experience fear. Yet Jesus will do marvelous and miraculous things through us. Jesus isn't finished calling people who know intimately their doubt, they know about their sin, and they know about their fear firsthand. Jesus is calling, as the song that we, um, that we sang, sinner, come home. Jesus is calling Peter home. Jesus is still present today, and he says, do not fear. He says, come with me. Come with me. For together, we can invite others to witness together the kingdom of God in our midst. Come with me. Do you hear Jesus today afresh saying, come with me? So, the first mention of Simon in Luke's gospel is chapter 4, before chapter 5. Typically, 5 comes after 4 on most occasions. Jesus there enters Simon's house. Jesus enters Simon's home. What is a house other than it can represent class, wealth, taste, status, to say that Jesus, in chapter 4, enters Simon's house 
psychologically, that would be like saying Jesus entered the personal space of Simon. He enters the personal space of Simon, who Simon is. And then when we have him here in, I don't think it's by accident that Jesus lands in Simon's boat. There's two boats, right? The next time Simon is mentioned is in chapter 5, and Jesus enters a boat. Well, whose boat is it? The one belonging to Simon. So again, Jesus initiates the action. This time, Jesus doesn't enter Simon's personal space at his home, but he enters his economic space. He enters Simon's boat, and, and in so doing, he enters Simon's occupation. He enters his livelihood, his way of participating in the world around him as a fisherman. Then Jesus invites him to launch out a little bit and then to go deeper still, to go into the deep. There's something about the depth that can be frightening. Amen? The invitation into the deep is risky. The invitation to go completely in is terrifying. This, in effect, is a call for Simon Peter to lose himself, to lose Simon. This call of Simon goes from Simon, uh, Jesus entering Simon's house to entering his boat to going out a little bit to going into the deep, leading him into the deep. And what Simon discovers in the deep is that losing himself is not a loss. Losing himself is not a loss. He discovers that there is life and abundance on the other side. There is life and abundance in the deep. Simon Peter saw. He saw. This was a discovery of his true self and his true mission. He saw. Jesus is calling Simon towards a, a transformation um, um, a transfer and a new way of being in the world. Friends, our, our world is not in need of smarter people. Our world is not in need of people who work harder. Our world is in need of people who are deep. We're in need of deeper people. People who are open and willing to be transformed. People who are willing to say yes and to consent to the invitation to the deep end. To getting in over their head. To trust beyond their own understanding. To trust beyond their own fear. Remember that the story begins with this Greek word, genomai. A word relating to creation. The story also reminds me of the creation story found in Genesis 1. The spirit of, the, of God moved upon the face of the water. Today in our story, Jesus and Simon are moving upon the face of the waters. A new creation is about to take place. Jesus is recreating Simon's life. Jesus teaches Simon a new way of being in the world and a new mission. 
Peter begins to see this divine abundance tangibly in the miraculous catch of fish. But man, I mean, you read through Acts, there's abundance. People in droves are coming to the Lord. I wonder if he thought back to this story. Oh, yeah, he said we're going to be fishers of people. Oh, yeah, and then in Acts, yeah, this is, the nets are full. God's abundance. So the deep, into the deep. The deep is a place of sacred transformation, a place of new life, and a place of abundance. Let's experience this together as we continue in our worship service, as we continue in our community of faith, as we continue to be in relationship with one another, to look for, to, to, to go after, to, to stay in the deep, to to experience God's abundance uh, abundance um, for us as a church. Amen.